Um, today we are going to delve into the story of Joseph. Um, and so if you've got your Bibles here, I'd encourage you to open them up because we're actually going to be working through quite a bit of the Bible. Uh, we've got, we'll have the, uh, this um, passage up on the screen, but if you've got it in front of you, it's great because we're going to work through it quite um, systematically. Now, if, you've, if you know anything of the Joseph story, which I'm sure you do because a lot of you will be um, very familiar with the story, um, I, I pray today, don't switch off. I know when sometimes when I hear a story that I've heard a lot of the times, it's easy to switch off because you're like, yeah, I know it. I know all the points. I can preach to myself, really. But I, I do encourage you, try to, um, to focus in because as I was preparing this message, I found... Um, some things I've never seen before, and God spoke to me in, in ways that hopefully will be encouraging to you. So let's get into it. So Genesis 37, 1 to 4, we'll get, um, it's up on the screen, beautiful. So um, we, we're starting with Jacob. So there is a lot of context to the story that we need to understand, but we'll, we'll get straight into it. So verse 1, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. And this is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending to the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, with his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons. Now Israel is another name for Jacob. Um, he had two names. And Israel, if we know now, is an actual country. So, and this is where it first began. Israel is um, this man. And so um, Israel loved his son, Joseph, more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. Now, this family, Jacob's family, is quite complicated. And so it's really essential that we actually do understand this, almost the structure of this family to understand what's going on here. Because Joseph is this loved son um, and it's really, it just gets emphasised and emphasised that he is the most favourite. He is the most loved. So what we need to do is, look, let's look at the family structure. So I have a um, bit of a family tree here. Uh, and so we can see straight at the top, we've got Abraham and Sarah, who had a son, um, Isaac. And Isaac uh, married Rebecca and had a son called Jacob. Um, and so we see this lineage, and this is the family. This is where it all started in the Old Testament. This is where God decided to choose one family to bless the nations. But then when we get to Jacob, it gets a lot more complicated. We can see that Jacob had two wives and also had two... Um, his wives had uh, maidservants, and he had children with them too. So he ends up having 12 sons. He was very busy. Um, and so you can see that all each of the sons had numbers, um, and because these are, it ends up being the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, so it's a very significant part of the Bible. There's so many of the things that the Bible really gets started. The foundation is here in this family. And Jesus, we, we know that Jesus chose 12 disciples because there were 12 tribes of Israel. So there's all these linkages when you kind of start um, delving into the Bible quite a bit. So... Um, Jacob had um, two wives, Leah and Rachel. Now, if you know the story, if we kind of go back a little bit, we don't have time to get into the context too much. But he really, really, really loved Rachel. Rachel was the one he was kind of infatuated about when he first saw her. Uh, However, um, he was tricked 
by his father-in-law. If you know the story, he was tricked and he ended up having to marry Leah. Um, And then he ended up marrying Rachel. So he had these two wives. And so at the beginning, he starts having all these children with Leah. So we've got Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Judah. um, And then he has a whole host of others. And then he finally gets to have, he finally is able to have children with Rachel. Now we have to remember, Rachel is the favourite wife. He shouldn't, it shouldn't be like this. But Rachel is his favourite wife. And he is finally able to have children with her. And the firstborn son is Joseph. And Joseph is the person that we're focusing on. And so Jacob seems to have favourites. He had a favourite wife and now he has a favourite son. And this favouritism is what causes a huge rift in this family. Um, This is what really causes a whole bunch of controversy. So Joseph was the 11th son to Jacob. He shouldn't have never been the favourite, really. The way the system worked is Reuben should have been the favourite, but he's the 11th and he becomes the favourite. Um, every other son should have been ahead of Joseph, but he was the first in his father's eyes. In Jacob's mind, Joseph was the first real son, which is unfortunate because he had a, uh, 10 other sons before him. But this is the first real son um, because Rachel was his real wife. Unfortunately, this flawed thinking brought conflict, bitterness, and in the end, there was murderous hate amongst his family. Joseph found himself in a situation whereby he was actually born into this unconditional love, but this love and this love actually caused his brothers to hate him, um, but it wasn't really his fault. He kind of was put into this situation. He didn't have control over his father's attitude and actions. He was born into it. However, and this is the really important thing that I'm just going to keep coming back today, is he did have a choice in how he could respond to this position. No matter what your situation is today, um, or whatever, wherever you find yourself today, you have control over your actions and your words and your attitudes. We've got to remember that. Um, sometimes we are stuck And even our actions and our attitudes and words won't change our situation, but we do still have control over them. It's important to remember. So unfortunately, though, I believe, as I kind of delved into the story, Joseph, I think, grew up with a bit of a superiority complex. He realised his dad did love him more. He realised he was a favourite, and he didn't really do too much to to stop this perception from happening. He was happy for his brothers to know this. Um, And this made his brothers hate him even more. And so if we go back to that verse we're reading before, this is one example of many of him just doing things that would really irk these brothers. Um, He he was out in the field. He's the youngest out in the field. He's 17. And he has this audacity to go back to his father and give a bad report about his older brothers. Um, And this is going to get them angry, isn't it? It's going to happen. He really, he dobs on them. At school, we try to make this connection. We try to make a, a, a differentiation between dobbing and reporting. We say that dobbing is trying to get someone into trouble, um, but reporting is trying to get someone out, which is a, it's an important differentiation because, what, especially when students get to middle school, they don't want to dob, 
because I don't want to seem, seem like a dobber. And so I don't tell anyone about anything. And so they could be getting massively bullied, but, um, or their friends could be, but I don't want to tell anyone because I don't want to be seen as a, stobber, a, a dobber. So um, well, we want to say, please report it. If you're in trouble, if your family's in trouble or your friends are in trouble, report it. You've got to say something. Um, unfortunately, though, here, I think uh, Joseph was actually just dobbing on his brothers. Um, we don't know the situation. He was probably in the right, but did he have to give this bad report? Because for the brothers, this was strike one. He was already this favourite, and now he starts dobbing on them. It's not a good look. Then in verse 3 to 4, Jacob, you know the story because the story is so famous, Jacob gives Joseph this really ornate, colourful uh, coat or this robe. Um, and when the brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him even more and could not speak a kind word about him. Um, this Now, Jacob, uh, sorry, Joseph had no control. He didn't have control over what gifts his father was going to give him, but he has control on when maybe to wear this robe. Um, and he seems to like to wear it all the time, like everywhere. Um, and we'll see he gets himself into trouble. And for the brothers, once they see this robe, it's strike two. They are getting quite angry with this boy. Uh, in verse 5 to 9, this is what really sets it off. Joseph is a dreamer. He has dreams, and we know as he goes through, he can have dreams and he interprets dreams. And so he has this dream as this young boy. Um, and when he had this, he has this, the nerve to go on straight to his brothers and tell them this dream. So let's have a read. In verse 5, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out of this field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he has another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Um, and, the fa- and all the sun and stars were his family. Not only once did he say it, and obviously he got a bad reaction, he thought he could say it again, a second dream. This boy is not, he has no control over his situation, but he keeps on doing these things that are enraging his brothers. And for the brothers, this really is strike three. Um, because what we see is uh, the brothers go off to, a, um, to go off farming in a distant land, a couple, couple of days away. And Jacob sends Joseph to go and see how they're going. Um, And so we can pick it up in verse 17. Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. Um, But when they saw him in the distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of those cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. At this point, this jealousy, this hatred... This anger got to the point where they were willing to kill their brother. And you can't, we, can't, uh, we can't dismiss it. 
We can't say, well, this is, we can understand this now and they were right to kill him. No, we can't. It's evil, it's sin, but we can understand it. This boy who, because they're just craving their dad's love. They want to be in his attention, but it keeps on going to this youngest, one of the youngest sons. And so you kind of understand where they're starting to come from. Um, and so they get to the point where they are happy uh, to kill him. And so when we go to uh, verse 21 and 22, um, Reuben actually steps up here. Um, Reuben, if you can remember the family tree, Reuben's the first son. Um, and so Reuben, when he hears, when he's hearing all this, the, the brother's plotting it, he actually tries to rescue him. Um, and so we, but we've got to ask, he's, um, and he does rescue him in the end, really, but he, we've got to ask, at this very point, he's the oldest son, he probably has a bit of leadership over all of them. And we've got to ask why, well, if, it's just a hypothetical, could Reuben have said no? None, we're not doing that. He's our flesh and blood. We're not going to kill him. Let's just leave it. He is annoying, but let's just leave it. But he doesn't actually, um, he doesn't do that. He goes one step in the right direction, but he doesn't do it. And if, when we delve into the story, we realise Reuben isn't actually in right standing with the family either. Um, a few chapters before, when Rachel, the most loved wife, um, passes away, Reuben feels like it's his right to then um, have sex with Rachel's maidservant, which is kind of one of Jacob's wives. And so when Jacob hears this, he's ferocious and he's very angry. And really, from that point, Jacob never really listens to Reuben again. So Reuben doesn't really have right standing here either. Our actions even though we are sorry for them sometimes, do have consequences into the future. Um, and so that's, this is what happens to Reuben. But he does take a good step in the right direction. They don't do- kill him straight away. They think, oh, we're just going to chuck him down a cistern. Um, and so in verse 23 and 24, when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing. Now we've, again... Why is Joseph even wearing this robe at this point? It's his best robe. It's the type of robe, when we actually look into it, it's the type of robe that kings would give to either their firstborn sons or their daughters. It was an amazing um, robe, and it's not the type of robe you just go for a three-day hike through fields to go find your brothers in, but he's happy to wear it, and it's this kind of behaviour that he'd be doing all the time that would just be giving these uh, brothers, um, yeah, they'd be really getting angry. And so he's, they strip him of this robe. They're probably getting quite a lot of righteous anger about it. And they took him and threw him into the cistern. Um, and, and that was that. And so they have to work, um, work it out, um, what they're going to do with him. And so at this point, we've, we've, I've kind of made this point quite often that Joseph, Joseph just keeps getting himself into trouble with these brothers. And it's because of his poor choices. He's not really sinning in all of this, but it's his unwise choices that keeps on getting himself into trouble. Um, it wasn't his, father's, uh, his fault that his father loved him more, um, but it was his fault how he responded and it was something. There was this, just something prideful, maybe semi-prideful, about his attitude, which just made this situation worse. And so, this is where I come to my probably this main point that I'm going to come back to: is so often 
Our choices have more influence than our current situation in determining, determining our future destination. At this point in the story, Joseph is going to die. They, they want to kill him. And it's because, it was, yes, it's his situation, he was put into this, but his actions has, have had more uh, influence in determining where he was heading. And at the moment, he's heading to death. Charles Swindle says it in an even better way. He said, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. I love that. That's, it's summed up really good. Life is 10% what happens to you and 90% uh, how you re- react to it. So in verse 26, we won't, won't read it, but Judah, the fourth son, if you can remember the family tree, the fourth son, he actually steps up and says, no, let's not kill him or even leave him here. Let's sell him off. Let's just get rid of him and so that we don't have to deal with him anymore. Um, and so Judah here, if, and if we know Judah, he's actually a very important person in this family. He, Judah is actually the line um, of his children and his descendants. He's actually the line of King David and of Jesus. Um, and so Judah here has this moment of uh, God might have even prompted him or it was this moment where he said, no, we won't kill him. We won't let him just die. We're going to sell him off instead. And Judah actually saves Joseph's life. And in the end, if you know the big story, he saves himself, really. If, Ju- if Joseph died at this point, the family would have died within about 15 years because there's a drought coming. And the family would have died in this drought if Joseph wasn't around. And so Judah, in this act, um, actually saves himself. And so in verse 31 and 33, they take... Um, They sell Joseph off to slavery. They take his robe. They dip it in blood, like goat's blood, and they take it to their father. I can't believe they did it, but they take it to their father and they say, Dad, look, um, an animal got him. He's dead. And when Jacob sees this bloodied robe, it's all the evidence he needs to realise his most favourite, most loved son is dead and it ruins him. He, he, he goes into mourning and there's nothing that they can do because it's like his only son has died. Um, and this is, um, this is where the story kind of moves off in a direction. And we won't actually take it in that direction. But if you've got your Bibles there, you can actually see we're in verse uh, chapter 37. And there's actually a chapter 38. And chapter 38 actually follows for a, um, for a little bit Judah. Um, and I always wondered, why is this happening? Why, why does it kind of go off to Judah and then come back to Joseph in 39? But I think the, the author, man, the Genesis is one of my favourite books because it's just so interlinked. But the author, is, I think, is trying to show a contrast between the type of man Judah is and the type of man Joseph becomes. Um, and Judah, he has a little moment of glory where he saves the brother, but from there, he gets really dodgy really quickly. And so go home and read it. 38, he is a dodgy man, Judah. Um, but he's the actual, he's the line of Jesus, which is ironic. God uses sometimes the least of us to, um, to outwork his plan. So if we move to chapter 39 then, um, we, we pick it up where Joseph has been taken down to Egypt and he becomes a slave to this man, Potiphar. 
And, um, and Potiphar is this, he's a ri- very rich man. He has a lot of responsibility in Egypt. And, um, and Joseph becomes his slave. But it's at this moment, um, something must have happened in Joseph because he becomes a different man from this point on. Something happens. I think at this very moment when he's been sold off to slavery, he's in this foreign land, um, it must have been an immense time of suffering. It had to be because he was totally alone. He was betrayed by his family. He was um, disconnected from his loving father. He had no idea where he was going to end up. He had to rely on God in this moment. Um, He had to rely on God probably more than all of his brothers had to and probably even more than his father ever had to. And I think it was at this point that something shifts in Joseph and we see something different in his life. And this is the reason why he was able to do these great things because of this time of suffering. Sometimes in life we do go through a season of suffering. And it's a terrible time, and I believe God would actually never want us to go through these seasons. But when it happens, sometimes um, God uses those times to mould us into something new. Um, And it's what's happened to Joseph, and it actually happened to me. And I believe it was this time of suffering that made this young person, he's only 17 at this moment, he made this young person into a great man of God. I, it doesn't take a genius to realise that in this room there are people who have gone through suffering or are going through suffering. I know enough of you now to actually know that, um, that you've gone through suffering or you've, you're going through suffering. And it's happened to me. Um, yesterday was pageant day. Four years ago on pageant day, my, my brother passed away um, from... From cancer, and he was—he was in his young, his early thirties, and we had one year with him. Really, after the diagnosis, we had one year, and this obviously was a very big time of suffering for me. And if you've been through that as a family, or if you've—you're um, going through it, it's a shocking time, and it's just a fill with all these range of emotions. And it's those times we actually have to cling to God because there is nothing else. And so it's times where I could have made a choice at that time to go, what's this all about, God? Why isn't he getting any better? Stuff this, I don't believe you anymore. And there were many times during this, this year that I did that. I, 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 was, I blamed God. I was very angry with God because why wasn't he getting any better? Other people get better sometimes. Why wasn't he getting any better? We're praying enough. Why isn't it happening? Um, But it was during this time that my relationship with God matured to the point that it's now something totally different. Because if you know what I'm talking about, I'm sorry if you do, it's at this moment that you have to cling to the hope of the resurrection. That in these seasons, it's only the hope of the resurrection of Christ that has any kind of hope in this situation. Because of this resurrection, the cancer doesn't win, does it? The cancer doesn't win. The sickness doesn't win. Christ has already won the victory. And so it was a shocking time, but that that hope changed me. And so now I'm a different person. I'm a changed person because of that situation. God didn't want that to happen to me, but 
He's used that to change me. And I'm sure for you, if you're going through that situation or if you've gone through that situation, he can use that season as well, even though it's not a nice time. And we would never go, oh, it's a good thing because now you're getting used. Um, But it's, yeah, you know what I mean. Um, And so at this point in the story, um, what happens to Joseph is because he has this time, he stops looking at himself. All throughout his childhood, childhood, his father's putting all his love onto him and he's just looking at himself. But at this moment, he starts putting his focus up on God and it changes everything because Joseph starts prospering. Everything he does, he prospers in. And so um, Potiphar sees this and puts him in charge and he just keeps getting promoted, promoted and promoted and promoted to the point where he's a top dog in Potiphar's family. And he's a, he's a manager, really, over his whole estate. Um, and because when God blesses us, the blessing's not just for us. It's actually for the people around us. We're meant to be a blessing, or we're blessed to be a blessing. And then this is what happens to Joseph. And everything was going all right until, if we know the story, Potiphar's wife gets in the way. Um, we can see here, Joseph was well-built and handsome. And he's just one of these blokes that he's got everything. He's got the looks. He's got a good body. He's intelligent. He's probably great at sport. He's funny and witty. He's just, he's, he's just one of these blokes. Um, and we all have those people in our lives. And uh, Joseph, that can, that kind of, when you're that kind of person, you can get really good attention. And so Potiphar gives, has, there's great attention. But there, you can get bad attention too. And Potiphar's wife was an example of this bad attention. Potiphar's wife wanted some action. And she wanted action with, with Joseph. And it's not it, what shouldn't be, but that's what happened. Um, and so, but check out his response. He refused. Now, this is not typical. His family has a problem with sexual temptation. In, verse, in chapter 38, the chapter before, uh, Judah falls to sexual temptation. His family always seems to fall to sexual temptation, but Joseph doesn't. He refuses, and he keeps refusing. He says, with me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Now that last phrase, sin against God, is not used very much in Genesis at all. Everyone doesn't, they don't care. They just do the action. But, but Joseph actually points to his actions and says, no, this is actually against God. And this is the first example of Joseph taking his attention off him and his needs or cravings or desires and putting it onto God. Um, and he's blessed because of this. But this example didn't do anything. Potiphar still wanted um, to keep going. Um, we'll click uh, forward a little bit. So Potiphar's wife just keeps on kind of trying to seduce this bloke, this poor boy, or this poor young man. Um, and so one day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Sometimes you just have to flee 
temptation. Joseph literally had to flee temptation here. Um, Sometimes that's the only option. You actually have to get up and leave the room sometimes. Yet to break free from temptation, it might mean you literally have to move. It could be to get in the car and drive away. It could be to chuck that phone away from you at that moment. It could be to to turn off that TV or to delete that app off your phone because it just keeps giving you trouble, that one app that seems to be always one app that gives you trouble. To quit your job. Sometimes, what's better? To lose your family or to quit your job. Sometimes we have to, that might be the case. If there's that one person that keeps on niggling at you, giving, sending you those signals, and you're feeling like you're going to succumb, it's probably better just to leave that workplace. Um, but that would be pretty hard to do. To leave that party, to stop that relationship, to finish that friendship, and sometimes that actually might mean to give that money away. If you've been given this kind of a lump of money for some reason, there could be someone in this room, if you've been given a lump of money for some reason or it's an inheritance and you can start seeing there's going to be some family dynamics involved that's just going to maybe crumble your family, maybe it's better to give that away than it is to keep it, be a bit richer, but then lose all your family connections. that That might be something that you might have to do. Um, So unfortunately, though, Joseph did everything right here. He left, but sometimes when we do the right thing, still the wrong thing happens to us. We know the story. She kept his cloak beside her until the master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought to us, uh, he came to me to make a sport of me, but as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard of the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. He did everything right, but still a bad thing happened to him. He was in a lose-lose situation. There was nothing he could do in this situation. In this situation, he didn't actually have any control. Of his circumstance. And it was unfair. The first time it happened to him, it was kind of his wrong attitude that caused it to happen, where the first time he got sent to slavery, but this time he's getting sent to jail and he did nothing wrong. This time um, he didn't have control of the situation. It was a hopeless situation. And it's in these moments, really, when we're in them, these hopeless situations, it's in these moments we've only got Christ in these moments. So, have you ever noticed that it was actually Joseph's clothes that just kept on getting him into trouble? First his cloak, now his robe. I was trying to think when I was first preparing this message, I was trying to try to find some spiritual analogy for you guys. It's like there's robes and cloaks in our lives, but I couldn't actually think of anything. But I think there is a repetition in Joseph's story. The same kind of things just keep happening to him. He seems to prosper and he seems to get himself some trouble and then he prospers and then he gets himself in trouble. There's a repetition to his life. Um, and 
Joseph often is, is he's put into these lose-lose situations, which actually do affect his short to medium-term circumstance. But the amazing thing about this story is that God has the big, long-term picture in mind. God uses Joseph's initial attitude. He uses his faithfulness. He uses that pain that Joseph had to go through to ultimately bring this man to a position of greatness, not for his sake, but the sake of the nations. If We can't get into it, but go home and read the rest of the story. He ends up becoming, this Joseph, he ends up becoming the prime minister of Egypt and say, literally saves the nations around him. And this is the whole point of the family. Abraham was initially blessed to bless the nations, and we're seeing it for the first time in this man, Joseph. So often, our choices have more influence than our current situation in determining our future destination. And so I need to ask you, what is your situation at this moment? And what choices can you make? Are you currently experiencing an unusual level of conflict in your life? Maybe with your family, maybe with your spouse, maybe someone with you in your workplace or with a friend. We know that all relationships are two-way streets. They're always, and there's always going to be conflicts. It's inevitable. But are you getting in the way of potentially res- restoring that relationship? Is there something that you're doing to contribute to it? Is your pride getting in the way? Is there something that you can control which will actually restore that relationship. Um, another thing that I thought is, is there something in your right, right now, is there something in your life, that strong temptation, that's just you're either constantly succumbing to or you feel like you could be? What needs to change? Do you need to leave a situation? Do you need to seek support? Because something does actually have to change. That thing you're stumbling on isn't going to just go away. We can pray for it to go away. God will help it, but we actually have to do something too. We have to, take act, we have to actively do something in these situations. And lastly, are you in a seemingly hopeless situation? Either because of your poor choices or life has just hit you for six. Because right in this moment, in this story that we've been reading... Joseph is in a hopeless situation. He's in jail, and it wasn't even his fault. But the very next verse says that God is with him in jail. He's present with him in this in jail. Um, right now, in your hopeless situation, God is with you. I want to encourage you that. If you are stuck, Christ is here to pull you out. If you are broken... Christ is here to mend your heart. Whatever situation you are in, Christ can be your hope. It doesn't mean it will get better straight away, but he can be our source of hope in any hopeless situation. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this story. Thank you for this great man, Joseph. I thank you that we can learn from his mistakes, but also learn from his um, actions and take it as inspiration 
that even though he had the same sinful nature as us, he was able to flee from temptation and he was able to continually point to you in his life. And it's because of these actions that you were able to use him for greatness. Um, and so I pray for anyone here today, if they are, if something's resonating with them from this story, if they are in a point of conflict right now, and this conflict might have been going for a long, long time, it might be conflict in extended family, I thank you that you can be a source of hope in that conflict. Even though right now it seems like there is no hope in it or if there is no solution. I thank you that you can be that solution. I pray for anyone here right now who is just, who is in a point where they're just getting tempted all the time. I thank you that you don't blame us for that temptation but, and I thank you that you can give us everything we need to resist that temptation. So I pray for anyone here right now and that it's just bugging them, that's on their heart right now, they know what I'm talking about. I pray that they can offer this thing to you. And I pray, God, lastly, for anyone in this hopeless situation. It could be sickness, it could be death, it could be just there's a range of things that life comes along and hits us for six. I pray that right at this moment, we can be reminded that you are the source of our hope. That because your son died and rose again, we have ultimate hope in you. That you have won this victory for us and we can experience that hope and that power in you right now. So I pray for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we sing a song... There have been three things really that I keep coming to. And so we might have, a, we've gone a bit long, so we might just have a time where we can sing, but I'm, I'm here to pray for anyone about anything. And we've got a team um, that, can, um, that can pray for you too, if even now while we're singing or afterwards. But if you're going through these three things, conflict, temptation, or hopelessness, Jesus is the answer to all of those things. And right now we can find that answer in him. And so I'm happy to pray for you. Um, There are people in this place that can encourage you and pray for you. Because that's the amazing thing about prayer, isn't it? That it is that time where we take attention off ourselves and our circumstance and we can actually put our attention onto God. So if you do need prayer here today, I I encourage you to come down now or come down afterwards. Let us pray um, for that situation. But let's sing. Let's all stand and and, um, have a time of worship.